Hello and welcome to the One More Mile Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Harnish, and today is Monday, August 27th, 2018. And joining me on the podcast today is my co-host, the indomitable Hanok Getz. How are you doing, Hanok? Pretty good, thank you. And also joining on the podcast today is none other than Simone Cordry Cotter. She's currently the public relations director at Rudy Project. How you doing, Simone? Wonderfully. Thanks for having me today, guys. Now, now did I get your title right? Yeah, you absolutely did. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got uh, started with Rudy Project, and, and a little bit about the company. Because um, I, I think uh, I myself would like to know, and I, I had met you last year, uh, mm-hmm. but don't know a lot about you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So I got started at Rudy Project about two years ago, actually, um, and uh, came on board as their public relations director after the previous public relations director, Devin Johnson, departed. And um, my, I had a marketing background. I did not have an endurance sports background. Um, I've always been an avid cyclist and a swimmer, but uh, didn't realize that you could do, you know, both of them plus running to make a triathlon, um, <laughs> and that it was, uh, and that it was such a big deal, and that so many people really enjoyed it, and that uh, Rudy Project had such an in-depth and strong presence in the industry. So it was a pleasant surprise to come on board to Rudy Project and find a lot of people who um, were so like-minded and, uh, and who were truly, truly inspirational from, you know, our brand ambassadors and coaches that we work with to, you know, our pro athletes that are, you know, going to Kona this year. So um, working at Rudy Project has been fantastic for me. Um, I've done two half marathons since starting um, and uh, in my very first century. So um, it's definitely been, it's been a good, um, a good, good fit for me, I think, um, and a true pleasure to get to know everybody in the endurance sports community. Um, so Rudy Project has been around for far longer, though. Rudy Project got started in Treviso, Italy in 1985 by a gentleman named Rudy Barbazza, and it was his project to create the best pair of performance sunglasses that he could. And uh, 1985, he put his first pair of sunglasses um, on a Tour de France team, and then from there, we've grown um, exponentially. Rudy Project is now all over the world, including here in North America. And uh, we are on the faces and and heads. We introduced helmets in the 90s on the faces and heads of some of the best endurance athletes in the world. Um, so it's, it's a fantastic company, small, still family owned, um, and uh, truly dedicated to the athletes and making sure that the gear that we're creating and engineering top-end materials, um, you know, hours and hours of wind tunnel testing, making sure that the gear performs to the utmost level so that um, it elevates the performance of our athletes. So uh, I've been sponsored by Rudy Project since 2000, uh, and I remember Rudy Project when I was starting cycling back in the the, uh, late 80s, early 90s, because it, it wasn't really available in America. And, and so we were mm-hmm. watching Tour de France, and I, I remember I had some friends of mine. Uh, and, and when you first introduced your, your first helmets back then, they looked a, a little bit like a hard shell hairnet 
helmet and they had this kind of this visor off the back and everybody's like, oh, you know, you know, the helmet's so cool, but we can't get them here. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but I, I remember kind of that introduction and it took a number of years before they, 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 they really hit the U.S. market. Uh, what was, you know, kind of that like, I mean, do you know anything about that, that, that kind of de- the development into the U.S. market and how that took place? Yeah, absolutely. So we have one person to thank for that, and that person is Paul Craig, who's currently the um, president and co-founder of Ruby Project North America. And he single-handedly tracked down the owners of Ruby Project, said, you know, I love the product. He wanted something that was that was super high quality and it could go up against Oakley. Um, and I, so I, I want to say we probably got started around 90, I want to say like 96, 97, 98 is when North America, um, became a market for Rudy project. And all of that is thanks to Paul Craig. So he's been with the company for 20 years now and, uh, is truly dedicated to the brand and, uh, um, and you know, has, it's his vision that brought Rudy project to North America. Now, now, if I if I recall correctly, Paul was involved in Ray Ban way way back. Was it Ray Ban oh, or yeah. Belay? Um, I, I remember oh. him telling me kind of the story back then. Uh, so yeah, Paul's story is fascinating. If you guys ever uh, want somebody far more entertaining than me on the podcast, definitely recommend uh, chatting with Paul because uh, he got his start um, working at Bausch and Loam, working on working on the Ray Ban brand. Um, before it was bought out by Luxottica and then uh, moved over to Bollet as uh, the North American sales director and marketing director. And then it was from Bollet that he went straight to Rudy Project. So his background in eyewear and performance eyewear goes goes way, way back. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So now uh, from a development standpoint, what, what goes into the development of a, you know, of a product? Like how do you guys decide like okay well we've got this eyewear right here um but we're we want to go this direction or is it just a concept or is it feedback or you know what does that process look like and in how how long does that take from the time that somebody says oh you know this is kind of what i'm thinking the in the glass are going to look like to production what what is you know what does that development process look at for eye for eyewear well, Chris, I think you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's all of those things. So um, it's, I mean, I would confidently say that more than any other company out there, we we place athlete feedback at the top of our list when it comes to developing um, when it comes to developing our products. Um, you know, we we truly listen to our athletes, and that's not just our pro athletes. We you know we look at social media, we look at, rev- at product reviews. You know, if people come back and say. You know, um, I love this. I love this frame, but you know, could we increase the ventilation? I love this frame, but uh, can we have a larger lens or a smaller lens, or can we have a narrower fit? Um, a ton of our frames have come out of athlete feedback and feedback from weekend warriors that are wearing our gear every day and asking, you know, can we try this? Can we try this? And um, if it's something that's feasible for us and uh, something that you know, we know is a need out there, then we jump right in and address it. Um, sometimes it, you know, it does take product development, takes time. Um, a lot of what we work on comes from the very talented designer um, in our, out of our headquarters in Treviso, Italy. His name is David Michaud. 
and uh, he's a very, very talented product designer, and um, he sort of will sketch something out and create this beautiful concept for eyewear, and then, um, you know, then it goes to the 3D printer, and we work on prototypes, and, you know, we put the prototypes on athletes, and athletes test them out and say whether or not they like the fit, the shape, the lens, the you know, how big it is, how small it is, whether or not it's compatible with their helmet, all of that feedback. And we take that, all of that feedback and process it. And then, um, we'll produce something that's available for consumers. So, I mean, that process takes anywhere between, you know, six to 24 months. Um, it just depends on, um, what it takes in order to get what we want honed to, I mean, I don't want to say perfection, but that's really kind of what we're aiming for. <laughs> yeah. Um, sounds good. I have, I have a quick question about, uh, helmet design. It's not quite design, but it's design, design related. Um, mm -hmm. like how do you choose, uh, basically just the colors? Like some, you see sometimes some, some lines of helmets for some years, there'll be a lot of different color options, you know, with various like bright colors or stripes or different things like that. And then some lines or some years, it's just kind of like, you know, white and black or silver and, and, and gray or something like that. What mm -hmm. drives those, I guess, very elemental design decisions? So, I mean, really, it's the it's it's the market. It's what we know that our athletes are going to like, um, and what we know they're going to respond to. People love white helmets. They love black helmets. So, um, just because they're easy match to your kit and your bike. Um, which we all know is like, you know, 90% of it. If it doesn't match the bike or the kit, then, you know, you're not going to want to wear it. Um. <laughs> right. It is true. I mean, that's, um, I know a lot of people, they, they will not wear a helmet if it doesn't match. No, it has to match. It has to match. So knowing that, knowing that about our audience and knowing that our athletes, um, not only being, you know, high level performing endurance athletes, knowing that they're also very, you know, style conscious. Um, we take all of that into account. Occasionally, uh, we have done, we've done polls before on Instagram where we've asked athletes and followers, you know, do you like this color more than this color? Um, and honestly, that, that goes into the decisions that we make. You know, we get feedback from editors and writers and bloggers in the industry. We'll ask them, you know, do you, I mean, we, for example, the gold race master is a perfect example. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen our, our race master cycling helmet. It's the helmet that Barry Merida wore in the tour de France this year and last year. But, uh, they, um, we initially were not going to bring the gold helmet into North America and, uh, it was available in Europe and we kind of looked at it and said, eh, we're not sure if people are really going to react well to that. Um, but, uh, Pez cycling picked up the gold helmet and took photos of it and people went bonkers for it. People were commenting on it and sharing it on social media and going, this helmet's so cool. Nobody else offers a helmet, this color, we want this. And so we ended up bringing the helmet in. Um, and so it, that's, you know, it, those, those we're, we are listening and we're listening to our audiences and when you give us feedback on colors and, and styles. We, uh, we pay attention. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. That's a good, good one. Um, uh, then I have another, um, another more like a technical question, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so obviously you have the, like this, as far as road helmets goes, you have like the traditional road helmets, I guess you would call them like the, like the race master and then mm -hmm. the, and the Sterling. Then you have obviously the, the, the aero helmets, which are becoming a lot more popular. And I know I was just watching, um, the tour of Utah a couple of weeks ago and the jelly belly team was, I believe, uh, racing in the boost, uh, the boost helmet. 
Um, is yep. that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Jelly Belly races in both the Boosta 1 and the Boost Pro. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, I pr- primarily use a, a regular kind of um, road helmet because I, I, you know, it's, it's pretty hot. And I like to have ventilation. I like it to be comfortable. But um, how much aero, you know, I don't know, not in terms of watts necessarily, but how much aero am I giving up by using a traditional road helmet? Obviously, the Bahrain Marina team, I think, you know, uses, like you mentioned, the, uh, the, the regular road helmet. Um, and then the flip side of that is how much, if any, you know, comfort or cooling factor or anything like that am I giving up if I choose, you know, oh, I only care about results. I want, I'm going to wear something like the Boost and I don't care how hot and sweaty I am. Like how much mm-hmm. am I giving up? Or, or is, is there really any concession on either side? Is it, um, um, yeah. So short answer is yes. Uh, you're making concessions. Um, you know, if I put a, let's say, let's just take it the race master, for example, cause that's the one that I wear, um, and have a lot of personal experience with. If I put you in a race master versus, um, uh, if I put you in a race master versus a wing 57, um, you're definitely going to notice that there's a lot less air flowing over your head in the wing 57, especially, um, if I put our aero plug in the front vent of that wing 57, um, our, all of our aero helmets come with the option of either leaving that front Chevron vent totally open. Um, you can get like a Cadillac grill guard style plug for it, which allows a little bit more ventilation, but a little bit more aero savings. Um, or there's a, uh, a totally solid plug that goes in there and that makes the front of the helmet even more aerodynamic. Um, as far as the aero advantage versus a road helmet, um, a road helmet versus a road arrow versus a full arrow. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, your body position um, and your average speed. So, for example, um, you know we'll, we put a, we do a lot of testing on um, Andy Dreitz, uh, the German triathlete, and uh, we've discovered that for him, um, the Wing 57, the watt savings over the course of um, you know, we'll say 40 kilometers is significant for him wearing the wing 57 versus wearing the boost, the road arrow, um, and the road helmet. There's, there's no comparison. The road arrow and the full arrow helmet are much faster for him, um, to the tune of, um, you know, a significant amount of, um, a significant amount of watt saving. So really it depends, but he's also going at a much higher speed. Um, he's going at a speed that, um, you know, I personally would have a lot of trouble sustaining, <laughs> right. um, not being a professional triathlete myself. And, um, so a lot of, so a lot of it has to do with you and, um, you know, not, we can't all necessarily, you know, hop in the wind tunnel and try out our road arrow versus our, um, road versus our full arrow helmet. Um, but we, but you, you know, it's easy to, if you, it's easy to do a little bit of a, you know, a test on yourself and there are miles and miles of forums on slow twitch dedicated to how you can kind of calculate some of your own watt savings when, you know, say switch from regular wheels to aero wheels, aero helmet versus non-aero helmet. Um, and, uh, I would highly encourage anyone that really, really wants to dig into it, um, to go onto a forum and just ask, ask a couple questions because, um, the triathlon community and endurance community is full of full of answers, um, and full of help like that. So, um, in, in answer, um, to your question, um, there are, there's lots of, there, there are significant savings. If you go arrow versus road arrow versus road, 
Um, but you're also sacrificing on ventilation. So the Wing 57, Wing 57's got six vents. Um, the Boost has 10. Um, the Race Master has 21. So obviously any helmet that has more ventilation is going to allow for a lot more, um, lot more airflow and you are going to be significantly cooler in a more ventilated helmet. That being said, um, our helmets are designed, every single helmet in our line is designed to be light, it's designed to be comfortable, um, and it's designed to be protective, and it's designed to be as aerodynamic as the style allows. So, um, right. I mean, even our road helmet is, our race master is going to be more aerodynamic than, say, you know, a competitor that you're going to pick up at REI for 50 bucks. Well, right, right, exactly. Um, so I have, like, another question, like a follow-up to that, which is a little sure. slightly, might, might um, veer less technical and more in a sponsorship realm, but I'm just personally curious having, you know, watched, you know, recently the tour and other European races and then the tour of Utah. So it seems to me, and I could perhaps be completely wrong, but that, uh, let's say, for example, the Bahrain Merida team, which I'm guessing is your, the big, you know, your big pro tour sponsored road racing team, it seems mm -hmm. that that they race in the race master, at least, you know, when I see like, you know, Vincenzo Nibali or some of the other big names there, they seem to me that helmet wears the, at Utah, it seemed what, uh, the jelly belly was primarily in the, in the, in the boost of one helmet. Like I'm talking about strictly road racing stages, not time trials or, or triathlon triathlons. Um, was that your decision from a sponsorship perspective that you want to promote this helmet on this team or that helmet on that team? Or do the teams, you know, get to choose which helmet they would like to use for a particular race or for the season or stuff like that. Really? It comes down to the teams. Um, I mean, we, you know, we'll obviously make suggestions and, um, you know, we'll develop new technologies and new helmets um, with the teams. For example, the, the Boost Pro um, is a an, an reiteration of the Boost 01 with a slimmer design and, and a new shell. Um, and fewer events. So that's why we have the Boost Pro for, that was specifically developed with Vincenzo Nibali in the wind tunnel because he said he loved the Boost 01. He said, you know, I think we can make it even faster. So cut out the vents, put a new shell on it, and I want to see what happens. Um, and, okay. and it did wonderfully for him. So, um, you know, it comes to, a lot of it comes down to the teams. Um, you know, if, well, if we, you know, for example, the Windmax helmet is one of our carbon fiber road helmets, um, super light, really well ventilated, one of my go-tos um, if it's really, really hot out. And uh, that helmet, I mean, that helmet was introduced in 2011, and we still have Continental teams that ride in that helmet just because they love it, it's comfortable, it does what they need it to do, um, and they have a lot of confidence in it. So, um you know, we we're, we stand behind every single product in our line, and um, and uh, when our teams appear in those in those products, it's you know it's fabulous. Um, I mean, it makes me happy that you guys are paying such close attention. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I just have to add that I've got um, I've got a Race Master and I've got uh, got a Win Max, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I I really do prefer the uh, you know the Win Max helmet. Uh, it's lightweight. Uh, it has tons of ventilation. It looks cool, but I kind of vary those I, on a day-to-day -day basis. I probably wear, wear the Race Master, um, you, you know, because helmet comfort matters a lot, and I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people overlook. Uh, not to mention a competitor, but one of the things I I've always hated about Giro helmets is that I'm not sure whose head they fit. 
um, because they, 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 there were so many riders I knew when, when I was racing full-time on the road that, that were like, you know, yeah, we're sponsored by Jiro, and I hate these helmets because it's like my, my head doesn't fit in them. And mm-hmm. it, it, the, the same thing goes for, you know, for time trial helmets. There are a lot of time trial helmets out there. And, again, I, you know, back in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot were made about the, the only the handful of companies that had time trial helmets. Um, but a lot of those time trial helmets were so specifically designed around the, the top rider, um, mm-hmm. you know, one being from – uh, you know, from postal service and specifically designed for his back type. And, and so you go out and you buy that helmet and, and oftentimes it doesn't live up to the hype. Uh, in my understanding, cause I've, you know, I've talked with Paul about this and, and, and had John Cobb on the podcast years ago when, when you guys re- released the wingspan and, uh, and, and your helmet was really designed kind of for the masses um, so that, everybody could go out and buy a, a comfortable, affordable aero helmet and benefit. And, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And I, I, I totally agree, like, about the testing. You know, you know, a lot of people, they want to just, you know, pick the helmet up and go. And I, I think that that's one of the great things about your helmets. But if you really want to go fast, you got to put in a little bit of a, you know, you know legwork. The testing is, is certainly doable. Uh, to find the the best position on your bike and the best uh, you know you know helmet that's going to work for that, but but certainly that comfort factor you know kind of bring this back around to 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 what you were talking about. I think the comfort factor is really important. Again, if you're a top level pro and you're at Kona, you you might weigh those options between maybe a helmet with less ventilation because it's more aero, but if you're going to be out there an extra two hours. You know, maybe comfort um, is really going to be the most important thing. And, and, and you know, it, it's nice to have a helmet line where you've got a lot of choices so that you can kind of balance those needs for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you, Chris. I think comfort is something that a lot of people overlook. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, oh, I wore a um, I wore an S-Works or I wore a Bontrager or I wore, you know, pick a, pick a helmet brand. Um, they'll tell me a story and say, you know, I bought it because it looked cool and because it matched my bike and because I really liked it. And a couple friends rode in it and I wore it and I nearly died of, you know, heat exhaustion or, you know, my skull felt like it was, you know, being crushed in the helmet. And, um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if, if it's not comfortable, like I can't, I can't wear it for like much more than like 20 miles before I feel like pitching the thing off into the side of the road. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think comfort is, comfort is something that people definitely need to consider. Um, and it's something that we absolutely consider, for example, our Sterling road helmet, one of our, I think it is the singular most popular helmet that we sell. Um, that was designed with the help of an Italian hat maker. Uh, because we wanted it to be comfortable. We wanted it to fit close to your scalp and still ventilate really well. Um, and so this is the level of detail and the level of attention that we pay to our products when we're developing them. Um, and, uh, yeah, and like I said before, we're listening. We absolutely are. Yeah, and that's the helmet I bought my wife, so. Um, there you go. Yeah, yeah you know, it's hard to go wrong. <laughs> that, that, that plus the cool uh, hot pink color. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I waited an extra yep. couple months for it to come back in stock. 
for but oh, right. yep yeah we have a hard we have a hard time keeping that color in stock yeah people people dig it <laughs> men and women which i kind of love so cool so i uh, you know you, you mentioned that you've got uh you know new products always kind of coming out um we know that 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 we've got uh you know the pro cycling scene's kind of winding down this year uh, mm -hmm. But Kona is coming up, you know, so so from the triathlon standpoint, what do you guys kind of have in store next? Are, are you, uh, I, I presume you're going to be at Kona, but what are you going to be, uh, you know, perhaps looking at from that race perspective this year? So we're, we're very excited for Kona this year. Um, we're actually also really excited for 70.3 Worlds, uh, which is happening in South Africa this weekend. Um, so we'll have our eyes on Ben Canute. Um, and I highly encourage you guys to look at Ben Canute as well and see what he's racing in, um, because that will give you a little bit of a hint of what we've got coming for 2019. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately, that's all I can say. I can't say anything else. Um, <laughs> Um, for Kona, we're, we're equally excited, um, if not more. As always, Rudy Project will be at Uncle Billy's. We'll have our whole village. Um, you know, we'll have stacks and stacks of helmets for people to try on. Um, we'll have specials for athletes that are racing in the world championships. And, um, and we're very excited to be introducing um, our pros will be wearing, some of our pros uh, will be wearing a new helmet that we're very excited to introduce. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's all that I can say about that as well. Um, and then uh, if we play our cards right, um, uh, we hope that that helmet will be available for pre-order after Kona. So um, people can, can see it in action on the Queen K and then um, hop onto our website over at RudyProjectNA.com, learn more about it and, uh, and uh, potentially purchase. Um, we've also got a couple new things coming up on the roadside. And uh, a new road helmet coming out that I'm very excited about. Um, that we should really, we'll probably be releasing more information about it um, uh, in the in November, December, right around the holidays. Uh, the helmet will most likely be available for purchase in the spring, so you can pre-order that as like a gift if you really wanted to. Um, and uh, more information about that will be on our website and uh, available in the um, fall gift guide of USA Triathlons magazine. So. Uh, I feel like I have to be so vague, but I'm really <laughs> excited. I'm really excited about um, what we have coming out in as sort of uh, on the aero side, on the road side, on the eyewear side, just because um, it's it's uh, a little bit of a departure from where we've been in the past. Um, but it is pure, pure Rudy project. And I'm so excited for you guys to see what Ben's racing in this weekend and to see what our pros race in um, on that big weekend and the big dance in October, and uh, and I just would encourage everybody to follow us on social media to get the latest and greatest because that's where we're going to release, you know, all of the hot new happenings. So, well, Pandora's Rudy Project NA, if anybody's curious. <laughs> yeah, and I and I will admit one one of the uh, you know you know one of the things I do really like about particularly road triathlon is uh, you you do get to see a lot of new stuff kind of come out um from 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 the pro standpoint uh mm -hmm. you, you know road cycling yeah but but uh it, it seems like triathletes are are you know definitely they're coming out with some 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 new thing that they're wearing for the first time um yeah, yeah. 
you know, you know, and related to triathlon, I, I know that, that, uh, oh, that Paul Craig's wife has a swimming background because we had talked about it last year at lunch. And, and um, I'm wondering, is Rudy Project ever going to come out with a swim goggle, particularly for open water swimming? Because I'm never happy with, with the goggles <laughs> that are out there. Um, it, it just seems like, you know, eyewear, triathlon, it seems, seems like a mm-hmm. good fit. Um, so as I, I can't speak to potentially coming out with a swim goggle. Um, if there's demand for it, which apparently there is, um, then it's definitely something that we would be happy to explore. Um, you know, having the background that we do in optics and performance, it would absolutely make sense for us to be in that space. Um, I believe previously, and I'll, I'll have to dig around in the archives for you guys, but, uh, I believe we actually did use to make a swim goggle. Um, but this would have been, this would have been way back, right. when We got started back in the nineties, um, back in like the late eighties, early nineties. So, um, maybe I can dig around in our archives for you guys and, uh, send you over a photo to, um, to share out with your audiences if they want to see some, some real retro stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking, Chris, you were mentioning, um, you were mentioning that helmet with the visor on the back. Um, yes. that you were seeing in the tour in the late nineties. I just, I just found it in our, um, in our sort of, uh, history book. It's, it was called the atmosphere and, uh, it was released in 97 and I'll send you guys. Um, it's actually, it's actually fascinating. I'll send you a timeline of all of our helmet development. And it's kind of awesome because you kind of see it go from something that looks like a sort of like somebody like carved out like a styrofoam cooler. It looks, you know, cause that's, that's where helmets were in, in 93. Oh, yeah. um, it looks like somebody sort of shaved down a styrofoam cooler and put this very like retro plastic shell on it. Um, and then we, you know, then we get into like the Suido, which is our, our first aero helmet that had the integrated, it had the integrated lenses and it looked like, um, it looked like a, like a, like a piece of armor, like a medieval piece of armor, <laughs> especially in like a silver finish. Um, you know, and then we get in, like, into like the Cyton Super Comp, which is a, a helmet that Andy Potts wore in Kona. Or I had um, that helmet too. Did you really? Oh my yes, gosh! Yeah. In fact, exactly. it's, still, it's it's uh, it's sitting up in my attic. Um, I've I've got that helmet, and and to go mm-hmm. even further back, I've got uh, one of the 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 original Giro, uh, the Hammerhead, um, that, wow. that Milan wore. So so that's kind of up there too. Um, nice. but yeah, yeah, it's kind of, wow. you know, it's kind of my collector helmet, I right. guess, the, <laughs> um, those two helmets. So what, what was the point of that, um, re, you know, backwards facing visor? Um, I mean, your guess is good as mine. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was to avoid sunburn on your neck or something. I don't know. That would be, that would be my guess. Um, and, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's really interesting cause we, you guys will see this in the timeline, but we go from like the Suido, which had this like massive long, you know, arrow tail coming back to the atmosphere, which my guess is that the visor was the, the backwards visor. Um, was introduced as sort of like a, an optional arrow flap slash spoiler if you wanted it. Um, and then we get into helmets like the Freezer and the Furia, which um, have just these like massive sort of, they look like a sports car. They kind of have like this really big shelf in the back and like a lot of EPA foam like in the back um, sort of, you know, as added coverage. So um, 
you know, I mean, helmet, helmet safety restrictions have changed significantly <laughs> since 93 and, and, right. and 98. Um, and, uh, you know, my guess is that, uh, that, you know, as the, you know, focus on performance as we are, um, and, uh, and safety that, you know, the helmets kind of tell a little bit of that story is, you know, safety requirements get more and more stringent demands for lighter and lighter materials start to appear. Um, you know, all of that is, it, it's, it's fascinating how it shaped our whole product line from 93 onward. And also ideas about arrow I and mean, obviously what people thought were arrow in 95, we, you know, we, kind of been it's all been turned upside down to what we you know now know now oh yeah, so, yeah exactly yeah. yeah although i would absolutely get a kick out of putting somebody in a suedo in a wind tunnel and just i just i just want to see you know yeah. i just want to see how it does against wing 57 my guess is that they would die of heat exhaustion before they got anywhere very quickly because the thing is just <laughs> one solid piece of sort of like metallic metallic plastic <laughs> with like zero padding so, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had a, a question, which is kind of about like uh, sponsorship, a, a little bit. Um, I mean, I get obviously you have you have uh, you've been involved with the Jelly Belly team for a, for a long time, and unfortunately, it seems that uh, the team is going away, um, unless there's some kind of last minute you know miracle or something like that. Um, but I'm guessing, as far on the road scene, like they were your big you know kind of. Uh, vehicle for exposure for, for the U S market. Um, mm -hmm. are there any, are you, you envision any, um, you know, sponsoring or, or being involved with any other U S based continental team or whatever, uh, next year. And, and, and I guess taking that to the next level, like how, how, you know, how do the pro sponsorships come about? Do they apply to various companies or, or do you go out, you know, seeking them saying, you know, this team seems like it would be a good fit. I like the way they, you know, they, they handle themselves in public and things like that, or, you know, how does that all, um, yeah. Like, um, so as far as jelly belly goes, um, I mean, I think we've, I'm trying to remember how long our relationship with jelly belly has been going on. I want to say at least, at least five or six years. Um, if not longer, um, we're very, very sad to see the, to see the, the jelly belly team go away. Um, yeah, I think we've got a number of helmets sitting in our office with, uh, you know, jelly belly decals on them. And the team has been, the team has just been wonderful. I mean, they've been one of the best teams to work with and, uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, seeing Lachlan Morton, win the tour of Utah in, I want to say 2016, if I'm recalling that correctly. Um, you know, just the level of performance, the level of dedication, the humor and the, you know, just sort of just sheer personality that that team has had over the last couple of years. Um, it just, it, it's a shame to see them go and, uh, and, you know, we will, we will continue to leave our jelly belly posters up all over the, all over right. the office because, uh, because, you know, they just make me smile. It's a great team. Um, and they've, they put in fantastic performances over the years. Um, as far as signing a new continental team, um, that's, that's still in discussion. Um, we're, uh, we've approached a couple teams that, uh, that are shifting some of their sponsorship around. Um, it's all very hush hush. So unfortunately I can't speak too openly about it, but, um, I'm happy to tell you guys that we are exploring a couple other options. Um, and that you will be seeing Rudy Project in the in the in the Continental Peloton. Um, as far as our large pro Grand Tour teams, um, we have had an unprecedented year this year with three Grand Tour teams 
all three in our eyewear. Um, Trek Segafredo, Lotto Sudal, and Bahrain Merida in our eyewear, and then Bahrain Merida, of course, in our helmets. Um, we actually approached Bahrain Merida right when they were first announced as a team. We approached them and immediately said, we want to be your helmet sponsors. Um, Vincenzo Nibali, the shark being the captain of the team, our company being Italian, um, you know, it just it fit really nicely with the, with the brand and with the brand narrative. They're an incredibly hardworking team. They're an incredibly talented team, especially for a team that's only been around for two years. Um, the performances that they've put in over in Europe and um, and some of the some of the tours in Asia has just been has been mind blowing. Um, and we've been exceptionally excited to sponsor them for the past two years and are hoping to continue. Um, Trek Segafredo was a fantastic team um, when we signed them in 2016 and we, or, uh, 2017, excuse me. Um, we've had them in our eyewear for the past two years. Getting to see Alberto Contador wearing our eyewear was, um, you know, something that I personally truly enjoyed. Um, and uh, getting to see Andre Greipel of Lado Sudal, the, the gorilla in uh, our eyewear, when he actually, back in... Oh, man, I'm trying to remember. Um, back when his road career was just getting started, he wore Rudy Project, and he was oh, wow. so excited to be back in Rudy Project um, for this past year. Um, he uh, he just he went bonkers over it on Instagram, and he said, you know, I've, I've started out wearing your sunglasses. Now I get to wear them again as part of my sponsorship deal. I'm just so excited. I love Rudy Project. They're the best I've ever worn. Um, and so getting to hear that enthusiasm from him was really, really heartwarming. Well, cool. I know that I had talked to you a little bit um, before the podcast, and uh, you informed me that you will be leaving Rudy Project. Um, and, I am. Uh, yeah, I was disappointed to hear. And I, and I, I should give some background. Um, it's not often that I get to kind of go out to the big corporate offices and, and meet uh, sponsors, and, and I was out in Denver last year, and so uh, it, it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, to kind of uh, meet with Paul and have lunch with him because um, I've been – I, I've been working with Rudy for 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 so long, uh, going on 20 years. I, I love the product, and uh, I was able to come back to the office, kind of kind of uh, chat with you, and and kind of meet the staff and and your 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 massive corporate uh, headquarters. Um, <laughs> if people can't can't tell by my sarcasm, um, it's it, it's small. It's it's uh, at least the you know kind of that main office areas it's it's small but you guys are are really one of the few remaining companies that are are small and and and, and, and truly independent yeah yeah and yeah. uh and, and and so i want to wish you um luck can you kind of tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing now and and, and yeah uh, of course yeah um well thank you for that chris rudy project has been um has been a, a true gift um, working here, and I have enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, the athletes, such as yourself, the athletes, the coaches, um, you know, the, the people that come to us and tell us their stories about wearing the eyewear, and you know, whether it's winning in the hel winning you know championships or setting world records in the helmets, the eyewear, um, or you know, crashing in the helmet and saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I was wearing your helmet." Um, you know, all of those stories are something that I personally got to see. Um, and, uh, and it, it's really meaningful for me to have been able to be a part of a company that, um, is a significant part of, of people's lives. And, um, 
and uh, I'm getting a little choked up here. <clears throat> um, <laughs> um, and I, and I'm very sad. I'm very sad to leave. I'm very, I'm, I'm bummed to be leaving Rudy Project, but uh, um, I've accepted a, a very um, prestigious fellowship with AmeriCorps out in uh, the Truckee Tahoe area of California. And, um, you know, knowing the area and knowing how good the road biking is out there, um, it's hard to, and the mountain biking, um, it was hard to say no. <laughs> and, uh, and so I will be departing Rudy Project at the end of September. Um, but, uh, but I'll be in, I'll be in Reno. My hope is to make it out to Interbike um, and uh, see some people. And, uh, and I can't imagine that I will be far removed from the endurance community because um, they've been so welcoming since I have been with this company. And um, I very much would like to continue to be a part of it. So my heart goes out to everyone who I have worked with and just want to say a personal thank you to you guys and, uh, and for representing the brand so well and for being such fantastic partners for us. Well, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, I got, I got involved through a team uh, uh, back in 2000 and I kind of, you know, I kind of stuck around. Um, and, and you guys have been so supportive of a lot of the projects that I've had. I had a U23 team, I had a junior team. Um, in just the work that 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 you guys put into the product, uh, it's really important for me to be able to recommend a product, and and so that's why I'm always, you know, it's like, ah, oh, do you, you know, do I want to talk about this product? Do I want to? Uh, do, do I want to suggest that somebody buy this product? And, and, and I raced for a long time where I was racing with sponsors who I, I, I just smiled and nodded. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But I didn't, <laughs> I, I certainly was going to recommend it to a friend because, God, you know, God, I knew how bad the product was. Um, <laughs> and I can honestly say that, that, that the, the, the companies that I work with now, I just, I, I'm just not going to work with somebody who doesn't sell a good product. And I love, uh, all the products um, that I've been able to use and, and uh, you know, and get there. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for my daughter's head to get big enough so I can buy her a kid's helmet. <laughs> <laughs> we have, yeah, we have the youth helmet, although I don't know how small it is. Yeah, her, her head's still, 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 <laughs> she's, she's still small. There's, a, there's only one brand of helmet um, that, that, that they, they're, their kids' helmets like go way, way down, and, and so. Uh -huh. um, but I'm waiting, so she's she's almost there. Good. She likes riding her bike. Good. So. Yeah. Well, we can. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get her in wing fifty-seven. You know, as soon as she's. <laughs> as soon as she, you know. I mean, you know, start arrow, start an arrow early. I think. I mean, you know. <laughs> she would. Uh, you know what? I think she'd get a kick out of that. Don't you do it? Don't you do it? You can put arrow bars on a Strider bike, on a Strider bike, right? <laughs> She, she definitely goes fast, so I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> right, well, Simone Cordry Cotter, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, uh, and I wish you luck. Thanks. Please, please stay in touch. Uh, you, you have my email, so, so just drop me a line and, and let me know how you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. And I will continue to listen to the podcast, and um, yeah, just uh, continue to enjoy that and, and hearing you guys. And uh, yeah, um, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for coming out. Thank you so much, guys. Yep. Right. Hey, folks. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, Hanak and I are going to be discussing more on racing news, team disbandings, and a little bit on fall training. Stick around.
We are coming back uh, post-interview with Rudy Projects, Simone Cotter-Cordry. Uh, Henak and I are back here. We're going to talk a little bit, uh, just a little bit about the news in the last week. Uh, again, mainly from the cycling world because it seems like there's just so much, so much happening. Uh, you, know, you know, what I'm going to do is really just kind of kick this off because this is kind of the story that came out this morning. Uh, Aqua Blue Pro Cycling gone for 2019. That adds to a long list of uh, guys out of work. I, I mean, I think at this point. Um, so, uh, what are you thinking, Hanak? What? what um, I don't know. I, I think that this is probably, yeah, you know, it's a pro Conti team, but it's, I, on the one hand, I think that we both kind of expect, we're, we're, we're not surprised by it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, you know, that that's going to be a blow. Yeah, that's, that's a big blow. Obviously, I mean, you know, it got a lot of press in the U.S. because Larry Warbass was on it, and he seems to be a very well-liked rider, and of course, he was a national champion, last, you know, um, last year, so... Um, even though it's not, it's not by any means an American team, and they just have one American rider, but they blow. I'm not, um, like you said, it's very disappointing because I think it was a team on the upward trajectory, and they seem to be trying to be like modern and doing things in a new way and being, you know, um, not so much sponsor driven, but, um, you know, kind of self sufficient in their, their you know, um, uh, financial model. But the, the problem, you know, the, the very well-publicized problems they, they ran into this year, uh, you know, and, and, and I say they also had success, you know, racing. I mean, they weren't just like a, a lower-level team that was just scrapping for, you know, they, they won stage at Tour de Suisse. They won a stage at Tuvalto. I mean, they were a legitimate, you know, team that had decent results, better than a couple pro tour teams, you might say. Yeah. Um, so they certainly deserve to be around, but the problem they ran into is they weren't. Spanish, they weren't Italian, they weren't French, so they didn't get any wildcard invites to the Grand Tours this year, despite the fact that they were at the Volta last year and won a stage. And Rick Delaney, their team owner, was not very shy about tweeting about that. And I think that's, you know, that's what did them in. They, they, they needed the, uh, their business model was based on getting the exposure at the big races and the old-fashioned way of doing things of, you know, Spanish invite the Spanish teams, whether they're good or not, and Italians invite the Italian teams, kind of leaves an Irish team out in the cold, and uh, it's very disappointing. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, when, when, when we look at this uh, and we look at what, what's happened on the U.S. scene, uh, again, Jelly Belly. <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. you come back to it, uh, you know, the – the thing with United Healthcare, that's totally different. I mean, and and that one makes a lot more sense because you've got Rally and UHC, and and it's it's basically the same sponsor. Um, yeah, same but, parent company, right? Yeah, but 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 Jelly Belly uh, has been successful. They did not get invited to any of the big U.S. races. That well, I I want to say any, but but you know, again, Tour of California is is really the race, and for. Aqua Blue Sport to 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 knock it into the Giro or the Welta. I mean, what do you got? And it it comes back to again, you have the sponsorship model that that clearly isn't working. Um, you know, we we could sit here and talk about the UCI and and you know what they could do, should do. But the fact is, is I don't 
I don't see them doing. That's really what it comes down to. They're not doing, they, they keep talking about all of the things that, you, you know, could happen, but, but they're not really doing anything. And I, obviously they're one entity, they can't fix all the problems, but when you have teams that have to pay riders, <laughs> what do you yep. do if, if, if your whole model is built around advertising and you, I mean, it's like, you, you got a company and you're, 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 you're paying for billboard ads, but they're like, yeah, but we can't put your billboards up. Sorry. We're going to put them on, on some dirt roads. We're not going to put them on the interstate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're like, well, I, 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 I paid you for interstate advertising. Right. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, 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 and I, I haven't followed that team closely enough as far as like the riders. I, I, I but, um, the transfer market is full. I mean, when you have pro tour riders that are looking for teams, I, I man, man, how are you going to sign some lower level riders? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're not even talking about like, like really like BMC. It's kind of the license thing, but that's, that's another, you know, that's merging with, you know, with CCC or whatever. So in essence, two teams are becoming one. So that's more, you know, more riders and staff out of work, you know, also, you know, on the pro tour, pro tour level, um, even though CCC was not a pro tour team, but they're a pretty high level, whatever continental team or pro continental, whatever you know, whatever that's called. Um, yeah. So, it's, well, it's it's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, moving into the fall, I think that uh, you, you know, you know, again, I think we're going to see some some career changes. Perhaps um, there's going to be a hole, I think, in the in the sport as far as. You know, a lot of riders going away, and and you've got a lot of young riders, and you you've got a means for those riders to keep racing. But but I think that we're going to lose a chunk of riders, and I mean, what impact it has long term, you know, who knows? But I think right. that this year, um, and also with with Jelly Belly, I mean, I know there was there was a piece in Cycling News last week how, um, I mean, every team that goes away is disappointing, but with. Um, Jelly Belly, that it was kind of like a stepping stone for a lot of right. riders that were, you know, kind of weren't like in the development of like the action, you know, Axel Merckx's team or whatever, weren't like superstars when they were nine. Team were a little bit slower. Opportunity, and there are a lot of, you know, to kind of develop and then eventually make the jump to the pro tour. And there are a lot of riders like Simone mentioned, Lachlan Morton and Kale Runyon and some and some other riders like that that. That Jelly Belly gave them a lifeline when when no one else would, and with them gone, you know they were kind of an in between team that kind of supported a lot of good riders that didn't perhaps you know have the best results, but had a lot of talent, and you know so that type of team to be going away is is is, is disappointing. Yeah. Well, in in other news, uh, yeah, the yeah. Vuelta uh, yeah. is going on. Surprises. Uh, Expectations, expected I mean, outcomes. Uh, what are you thinking after just well, I mean, the first weekend? Well, it's too early. I mean, to say much, but obviously, we're talking about like pro tour teams and other teams. You know, that deserve it don't deserve to be at races. I mean, BMC. You know, why they even show up? I mean, okay, Dennis won the you know the, the prologue, but then. Uh, Dennis and Port, whether it's health reasons or whether they're just tired or whether they just don't care because they're moving on next year. But, like, 
how do those two riders both go and lose 13 minutes on stage one? Uh, yeah. You know, it just, I, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Why are they even there? Like, why, why not send someone that wants to be there? Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I, I mean, it had seemed at least initially that Dennis had, had come prepared. Not now he's, you know, now he's saying, well, you know, I'm just preparing for the worlds. And so that wasn't a big deal. Um, but, but I find Dennis rather strange because he, he says he wants to develop into a Grand Tour rider. He right. put, I, you know, I guess looking back at it now, he put all his eggs in, in the Giro basket. That clearly didn't work out. And so his plan is to, you know, win another world title. I, I mean, we, like, I, I, I don't recall the, the results from last year. What, what, how did he do at Worlds last year in the time trial? Um, I don't think he. I, I don't. I, I believe I, it was. Uh, I felt like he fell short by. Well, he definitely. I, I don't even think he was on the podium. He yeah. might have been fourth. Yeah. 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 And I. I don't. I don't know. I mean, and and I, I've read some of the. You know, the training. Uh, you always read these training pieces uh, about how they're developing the riders, and and uh, you know, a lot of it is fluff because they put out some physiological data and they. They show you nice lactate curves, and um, I think the general public gets kind of wooed by that. And I look at him like, oh, okay, it's another lactate curve. Yeah, he, he's made progress, but uh, but but he's not a Grand Tour rider. I've not seen anything that indicates to me. Um, of course, Garen Thomas seemed to languish for years, but but I've just not seen anything um, that that has shown Dennis to to be up there. So to kind of come back around and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not really racing the, you know, you know, the Walt, I'm, I'm focused on the worlds and then the drop 13 minutes on a opening stage with some narrow roads. I, I, where, where the team directors, did they actually look at the, you know, the parkours, did they open the booklet? Um, it, is it just, well, it's a Walt, so we'll just see what happens. Um, <laughs> It, it, it does I have yeah I'm having a very difficult time wrapping my head around how I mean one of the biggest teams can just kind of let it all go on the first day hey it's like they just didn't show up yeah I just don't I, I honestly I just can't 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 understand that like from the directors all the way down to the you know to the riders to, to team management I mean it just seems like they can maybe just because it's the last race of the year maybe they just don't care I, I don't I just don't Honestly, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> That's all. I mean, I, I wish I had a better analysis than that, but it, it's just kind of, it's just kind of, you know, obviously Port had supposedly some health issues, you know, but I, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted by the whole, by that because they were, I even, I mean, Nibali lost a little bit of time, but not 30 minutes. And also clearly, I mean, he clearly is coming back from a very bad crash and he, is there, you know, just to hunt stages at the end and to get form for Worlds. And that, that makes sense for Nibali. But for, like you said, for Port, you know, he signed a big contract with Trek. You would think, even if he's not in great shape, he has to, he has to mentally show the world that he has the mental strength to hang in in a three-week Grand Tour, day in and day out, yeah. be at the front. You know, even if he doesn't get on the podium, he should always be in there for, you know, every single day, being being the hunt, and that's what it takes to be a Grand Tour rider. You know, even on the flat stages, you got to be fighting for positions. You have to always be aware. You have to always, you know, that's just as important as being a great time trialist, being a great, um, 
you know, climbers is having that, that ability to day in and day out, you know, fight for position. And, and if you can't do that, you know, on the first day, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it, I wouldn't be very happy if I was the manager of Trek and I just gave this guy a multi, you know, a huge, you know, who knows what kind of contract and this is what he does. Well, it, it, it's a multi-year approach. It's, it's a, it's a big picture approach to Grand Tour uh, development, although I don't want to, yeah, you know what, I don't even want to say development at this point with Port. Uh, Port Port's either going to be there or he's not. He's 33. And, Port and he's, clearly has the physical tools to be there. You know, there's no question he has the physical tools. But so far he has, you know, he's never, for what, one reason or another, he just doesn't seem to be able to put all the pieces together. So him and, and, and Rowan Dennis are different. You know, Port clearly has the physical tools but he doesn't seem to be able to put it together. Well, it, it, I mean, here's the thing. He hasn't been able to put it together to get on the podium, has he? Has he finished no, on no. the podium yet? Of Not any, on any Grand Tour. No, yeah. no, he hasn't. Right. So, I, I mean, there are guys that we've already, you know, more or less given up on who, who've been on the podium. Um, right. That, and, and Port hasn't, hasn't been there. Uh, and, and, I, and I have to say that, 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 okay, you know, if Dennis is saying, well, I'm focused on the, you know, the world championships, I, I don't know why Port would say that. Uh, he's, he's not shown himself to be a one-day rider in any way, shape, or form either. Um, so, you know, and I, I again, I want to turn this into just kind of ragging on those two guys, but, but right, that, right, that exactly. was, but that was, you know, the, the pink elephant in the room. It's, it's just like, look, look at BMC brings his team and boom, they're already out. It's like, you know, hey, boy, what are we going to do? Just kind of phone it in the rest of the season? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But on, I, I guess, a more positive note, I, I mean, there there were some positive signs. I, I, I think, again, Team Sky um, is at least indicating they're in it to win it, um, right. you know, whether we like Team Sky or not. But, uh, you know, Kwiatkowski, I, I'm still unconvinced that, that – that he has three-week potential, but he seems to be a guy that it's the least, he, he's like, you know, I'm going to go for it. Um, if he fades in the third week or if he decides, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it, I want to really focus on Worlds, and he could win Worlds. He's, he's already right, won Worlds right. once. Um, but I think they have a team that's jam-packed with riders that, that, that could surprise. Um, you know, and and as for the other riders, I, I think there's still a big question mark. I mean, Pino was still in there. Nibali is still in there. Uh, there are a lot of guys that, that were there. Valverde uh, won, won the stage. I think he's, I, I think he's going to fade. I, I, I think that uh, he's not going to be there in the end, although I, I, I think he'll be very strong. Um, and then there's Quintana, who can't seem to, to ride a stage in the Tour de France to save his life, but... You know, B, you know, BMC gets blown out of the water on the first stage, and Quintana's tenth, and and they're you know they're talking about how technical and windy the roads are. And I'm like, right. Quintana, where, why why aren't you there? You know, the tour. So, um, but I think he's in a he's he's in a really good position. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and there's and I mean, in Quintana's favor, the the. Um, the Volta has very, very little uh, time trialing. So, um, you know, if he, if he has good climbing legs and if he can avoid crashing, you know, the, if any, if there's any Grand Tour, you know, that would be, you know, kind of his, his cup of tea would definitely be this Volta. 
Yeah, and I think um, I, I, I think there are a lot of riders that need a good ride, but I think if I had to pick one rider to say, like, you know, you you need to win or at least be on the podium, it's Quintana. Um, because he's been so hyped, uh, and in my book, overhyped to a large extent, but he's been so hyped, he's, he's got to come back around and say, hey, I'm, I am still here, um, you know, let's forget about those, those bad races, you know, I right. won this, he's, he's just, he, he's got to be there, if he really falters, uh, I just don't, I don't know, I don't see him, him being a factor down the line, and I think mentally for him, I, I think it'll be a huge blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I mean I, like I said like I said last week I mean I'm pretty I think you know my I think he will do well but of course you know just what I you know and there's some other some other people that that you know are kind of still waiting in the wings that could produce big rides I mean uh, uh, Miguel Engel Lopez you know he was on the podium at the Giro and uh, he can clearly you know have a good ride at the, at the Vuelta we didn't you know no one's even talking about him um, but he, he's certainly someone that can that can be on the podium or even. You know, who knows? He could even win if, if some of the big names uh, have a bad day. So, you know, there's p- potentially it could be it, what's, you know, it could be very interesting that because there's no I mean, like everybody's already saying, I'm not you're not saying anything you know, new here. But, um, you know, there's no there's no Chris Froome. There's no you know, there's no one guy that's the clear, clear favorite. So everybody thinks they can win. So hopefully it will make for a more interesting, more explosive event you know all there's there's seven or eight guys that clearly think they can win there might be 10 or 12 guys that, that can be on the podium so hopefully it'll make some for some good racing yeah and 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 just looking at the current current top 20 here uh you know we've already mentioned guys that that really do need to uh you know to win but i think that there are guys that uh it would be a good mark for their career if they could again take that next step, I think Kelderman uh, on Sunweb, he's another guy that that has kind of always been there. But you know, I think that with with Tom Dumoulin um, kind of dominating that team, if he wants to kind of stay in it to be more than just a domestique, he's going to have to pull out a good ride. Um, Malama, you know, right, I think right. yeah, you know, now we're back to this point of yeah, yeah, you know, he. He had, uh, you know, Contador to deal with. They got rid of Contador. He became the main guy. And then he gets a year and it's port, like, oh, yeah. we're going to bring Port. And I, I honestly, not, not to get back on Port, but I, I, I honestly don't understand Trek's logic because Alberto w- was, what, 34 last year when he retired? Um, and, and if I had to put my money down on not necessarily winning, but, 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 but definitely if I had to put a money – some money down on a podium finish. I put it down on Contador. Even Contador coming out of retirement versus Port. And so, you know, if Port were 29, yeah, but at 33, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm like, is Trek just hoping that they can get maybe one more year and then fill that void with a younger rider? Uh, and that might be. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, they might not I mean, have seen. Yeah, Port's probably the only, the only on paper. GC contender that was that was available you know that, that that's out of contract this year. I mean, all the other big names are still you know are in contract other than Garen Thomas, but he'll probably stay at Sky. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, that that's that's probably you know 
uh, Trek just needs a big name, and, and Port is was the only, you know, big name, kind of, so to speak, that, that's available. And he's an English speaker, and, you know, Trek is, after all, a U.S.-based company, even though it's not really an American team. Um, but, um, and then, you know, so that, that's probably the thought, thought behind that. I, I, I think the signing makes sense. Whether it will bear fruit is another question, but I think it makes sense. I think if they're, if they're looking at the one-week uh, one races, the, the smaller stage races, it'll definitely bear fruit. Uh, yeah, you know, and certainly maybe they're, they're hoping that Port can produce what maybe BMC didn't when they had TJ and Port and some other guys. Well, we got a backup guy from Alama. Um, yeah, you know, cause I don't see, uh, but you know, you know, Balk is a, is a good rider. He's a solid rider. I, I, I don't see him moving beyond a podium, um, in any grand right. tours. He just right. hasn't, he doesn't have the explosiveness. And exactly. so maybe, uh, you know, Trek again is looking at kind of the big picture. Let's just get overall good results and, and kind of see what happens. Um, you know, if you could ever split up the Yates brothers, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, you know that would be interesting. But there are some dynamic riders that are out there. I think that that it would be interesting to see what happens in the next. We're talking uh, about. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean. No, I was going to say talking about Trek and young riders. I mean, it, I don't know if you saw it, but it just came out. Though it's been kind of rumored for a while that Trek just signed that uh, young Colombian uh, Sosa. That supposedly yep. he's being hyped as he being even better than Quintana was when he was like 19 or 20. So perhaps they're, they're hoping that Port gets some results next year, you know, and gives Sosa some time to develop without any pressure. And maybe in 2020 or 2021, you know, Sosa is, is a legit, uh, you know, Grand Tour contender. That, I'm saying not that I know, but that might be Trek's uh, thinking, you know, having signed both Port and Sosa. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, and at least, you know, so, so, so I can learn from guys like Mullema and, and can learn from, you know, a Richie Port, which, you know, ha hasn't had any Grand Tour success, but has won the Dauphiné and has won, you know, he, he wins big races. He's, not, he's definitely, you know, a good rider that, that, can, that can, you know, teach a, teach a young one how to, how to, you know, how to be a good pro. Um, and then also some people we haven't, we haven't mentioned is, um, is the other Dutch team. I mean, Steven Kreiswick is in the race. Yes. And um, uh, he, he had a pretty pretty good tour. He was fifth or sixth. Um, so he can, you know, who knows? You never know how these guys come out of the tour. I mean, obviously he came out healthy. He didn't crash or anything. But, you know, we don't know if, how serious he's taking the Vuelta. But with the form he had in the tour, he can definitely challenge in the Vuelta if he kept his form. Um, so, you know, that's another name to, to, to throw into the hat. So that's, yeah, there's a lot of names. I mean, hopefully hopefully it'll be a good race as, as it you know, makes its way towards the more serious GC part. I yeah, I think uh, I think over the next week or so, as things kind of sort out, I think we'll have a better idea. And and we might actually have a better idea looking ahead to Worlds. Uh, you know who's uh, who who's going to be on top. Uh, you know, certainly I think trying to make a pick. Uh, I I'm looking forward to making some picks for Worlds. Uh, you know, to look at that and uh, and and, and kind of see how that goes. Um, all right, so, so, so moving from the Volta, though, uh, we yep. got cyclocross that's going to be, uh, you know, picking up. I, I see that, that Voss has, has wrapped up her road season, uh, and she's going to do a full cross campaign this year. Should be interesting uh, to see how that, that, that plays out. I haven't heard a lot, though, 
um, on the domestic side of things for the U.S. men and, and kind of that, that race scene. I think it's going right. to be curious to see in those first couple races, the first big races, who are the guys that come out firing, um, you know, and who, who really are the guys that aren't there, you know. So, uh, but, but we've got the cross scene kind of starting up in the next few weeks, so we should, uh, you know, we should start seeing, be seeing things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's funny to think about cross. It's like it's like ninety five degrees today. But yeah, I know. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Jeremy Powers had a pretty had a kind of like an off year last year, you know, at least for him. So it'll be interesting to see if he can if he can bounce back strong and see if any of the young guys coming up and and uh, see if the U.S. women can make it. You know, it's interesting that the U.S. women. On the world scene, are much much stronger than the men. I mean, obviously Katie Compton, and then you have some. You have Ellen Noble, and you have some other some other young U.S. women that are, you know, pretty much at the top of the, of the world rankings. You know, ranked definitely in top top five, top ten for sure. Yeah. Whereas the U.S. men really, once you know, when they go to Europe, they're they're pretty much invisible. Um, but it'll be interesting to follow, you know, the, the domestic scene. And I think um, that's uh, you know that that that's really going to be the. The, the case long term until you can get to the point where um, there there's no financial incentive uh, for U.S. men to hang out in Europe. You know, they make uh, again, from my understanding, they the guys that stay here make a decent enough living uh, and the sponsors get enough out of it that, that, right. that they don't they, they they don't see a need to go over there. Uh, I, on the women's side, I think that that, that there there are enough they, there's enough competition here, and the competition is strong enough that you can get fast racing, and then you can go over to Europe, and you can still be uh, you know fast. You just don't get that with the men. I mean, so you think overall the scene for, on the men's side, like it's just much much weaker here. So when they go over there for you know a couple races or for worlds or for you know whatever, they they're just kind of completely out of their element. I, you know, I feel like physiologically, if you're a guy who can get into the top ten um, in Europe, you're 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 good enough. But there's that that uh, that 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 intangible quality um, to really break that top five. I think top three wise, no. I mean, you know, your Vanderpool, uh, you know, your your. Um, uh, oh shoot, man! What's his name? Van Ayer. Uh right. Those are those are guys that are light years ahead of uh, of most other riders. Uh, I think that we have U.S. men that, that that could certainly break into the top five. But the only way they're going to break into the top five is if they're 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 there. You've got to kind of have both that 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 physical, that physiological, that mental, and that technical. It's all got to right. be there. Um, on the women's side, it just, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it, the, the gap isn't as big and you, you can see that with Katie Compton. I mean, I, I, you know, I think last year was her best chance to win a world title, but, um, but, but she's there, you know, and oh, you just yeah. see at the world cup level, we have women that, that can crack it, you know, they can get on the podiums, they can, they, they can do it. Um, and I don't, I don't see you, I, I, I don't see it on the men's side, and until there's real incentive, and, and I don't see that incentive coming. I mean, geez, we can't even keep the men employed on the road 
in right. pro karate teeth. So, um, yeah, yeah. But the USC, oh. I think, is still healthy. So, right, right. Talk about the just just one honorable mention. I think we should we should. Uh, it, it didn't really get a lot of press, but talking about con- U.S. men in the county scene and stuff. Um, you know, nice, nice to, to mention the sponsors that there are involved with. Um, uh, I believe Robbie Rally Cycling is, is was is having a little bit of a campaign in Europe now, and I believe that uh, Robin Carpenter got the uh, King of the Mountain jersey at the uh, Tour of Germany. Yeah. Uh, just yesterday or the day before. So that's that's. Um, you know, we're talking about all the negatives. Let's also mention a positive. So that, yeah. that that's nice. Yeah. You know, seeing seeing a U.S. team go over to Europe and have a little bit of success. And I believe that Colin Joyce, one of their sprinters, won a stage yep. in a European race the week before that. So let's, yeah, they're, let's give them a little mention. Yeah, their, their, their second European campaign this year has been, been very, very successful. Um, and, again, that, that's another program that's been a, around a long time, different, uh, different sponsors. But right. they, they – and I, and I think – I, I think it was Velo News that had, that ran a piece on the rally team, but rally's been a long, around a long time, and Jonas Carney's been been involved in that program for a, a long time. And I and I was racing with Jonas Carney, so right. um, he's been around a long time. Um, but but I think it's it's uh, it's it's been slow growth, and I think that they they played their cards right, and probably from a luck standpoint, they ended up with the rally sponsor and the rally sponsor meshes better with the overall uh, lifestyle that, that, that the company um, wants to portray. And so, so and, and I, I, I'm not totally familiar with all the ins and outs of it, but, but, but you've got the parent company that owns Rally, uh, you know, which is a brand, and UHC, which is a brand. And, and, and so, uh, you know, they just felt that UHC um, just – you know, you know, for the market that they're aiming for, right. but, but, but rally. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got a solid program. Um, and one of the nice things is that you don't hear them talking about, well, you know, we're, we're hoping to be in the tour de France in a few years. That to me, traditionally has always been kind of the death knell for a team, even if it's the first year. Yeah. We're really looking to get in that, in the tour de France. It's like, you know what? Long way away. You're a U.S. Right, team. Right. Um, I think that's unrealistic, and and so uh, so yeah, I mean they built a solid program, and I think you see it. Um, and if you can pay your riders well enough, a lot of times guys will stick around for a while, and that's what you need. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. All right, what else has happened? I know it's only been about a week, but but what else has happened on your end? Any uh, any uh, race news? Any any plans? Uh. No, nothing, nothing too exciting. Did a, did a good. Um, haven't been on my mountain bike in a long time, you know, during the road season. But I went on a nice mountain bike ride on Saturday, so that was that was just a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> getting out, hitting the trails. Um, you know, race season's winding down. Still got a couple, a uh, couple of small crits, you know, coming up, but uh, nothing major. So uh, we'll see how the. Um, the next couple of days are supposed to be really, really hot, and we'll, we'll see how that affects any of the training or racing. Um, but that, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Nothing, nothing major. Yeah, I'm just I'm just getting back into training, so I um, just life in general, you know, had yeah, time yeah. off. I've I've been out of the pool for a while. My membership lapsed, and you know, school's starting up, so since our first week of classes, and so. 
um, hoping to get back in the pool this week. But, uh, you know, you mentioned mountain biking, and, and, and it got me thinking. Uh, I've only actually ridden my mountain bike, I think, three or four times since nationals in June. Um, right. And uh, I, I think I need to get back out on my mountain bike. So I don't – I'm not sure if I'll do – any races, I, I was looking at a couple races, but it's always this time of year that if, you know, last year I was looking at kind of a whole trail series, and I'm not doing that this year, and, and, and my, uh, you know, line of thinking these days are if I'm not going to race for a result, you know, do I want to go to a race, and, you know, so I always look at it, what what would a race in, at this time of year do for me um, and it usually just burns some matches at home. <laughs> so, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I got to think about, well, you know, do do don't want to go away, just do a race now, or do I want to go away in the spring and, and, and use that race to build up? And so uh, I think moving into our next podcast, and this, this is kind of, uh, you know, what I'm thinking is we're, we're going to be talking about not only uh, uh, training, but kind of thinking about getting people thinking about training and goal setting because this is really the time of year to do it it's like you you've really got to sit down and you've got to establish what you're going to do next year um so that you can start start really building now um because this is really the time of year in my opinion perhaps not necessarily for pros um but i think for age groupers masters level competitors uh when when racing is down graded uh the fall is really the time where you can make a lot of progress so that you set yourself up for kind of that winter season. I, I, I really, I hate using that off season term because, you know, nowadays you can't take an off season. You can't take <laughs> months off. But, right. Right. I think a little bit of time off is good. And I, I, I might've mentioned this before that my, my philosophy is that you need not necessarily a, a physical break, but I think, you know, that, that used to be a thinking, I think that's been disproved, but I th- do think, that if you have, a, especially if you have like a long racing season, you do need a mental break. Um, right. You know, you can't just like finish your last race, you know, September 10th and then start banging out intervals for, you know, October 1st. I think you do need a bit of a mental break. So you right. can still yeah. be training, whether whether you're running or, or cycling or swimming, whatever, whether you're, you know, a, a triathlete or, or, a, or a road racer. Um, so you, it doesn't mean take, take a month off and, and drink beer and eat ice cream. But, um, you know, take your power meter off, don't time your rides, you know, do some, do some rides or, or runs with, with some of your friends that may be a little slower and you don't get to hang out with them during the racing season, things like that. Um, I think that, that helps you come back and attack your, your training a lot fresher, um, you know, when you, when you do start up again. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about that? I agree. Uh, you, you know, that, that taking that break is needed. Um, and, you know, from my, from my experience, it's really like how much fitness do you want to lose? And, and so I, I, I think your points about taking the power meter off or at least de-emphasizing the, the data collection um, or de-emphasizing the, you know, the reps, okay? If you right. want to go out for a, for a hard ride or a hard run, you want to do that group ride, yeah, that, fine, go do it. And in fact, this is the time of year you might want to do it instead of in the spring when your goals really matter and, and you, you've got to give that up. And, and a lot of times that's, that, that's why I train alone in the spring right. because I just can't, I can't get the training that I need in. Um, Those group rides sometimes, sometimes are counterproductive to your goals. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
But right. but I think I, I think that mental side of it is really really important when you spend months, uh, you know, focused on a goal. And I think that that's where I am now. I, from from an elite or a pro standpoint, it, it's a different type of mental fatigue. Um, you know, I think for us, uh, we try to just kind of maintain a certain lifestyle so that we can train and, you know, getting up early and doing all, all, all those things and trying to do that year round, I think wears us out more than anything else. And so, yeah, this is a great time of year to, to go for a bike ride, um, to, uh, you know, to do the things that aren't necessarily ideal for training. Okay, you know, you're you're going to go out and do your training ride and then you're going to go to the pub or, you know, go to the bar or something to have a beer. Hey, you know, that's cool. That's 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 fine. I think it's it's that mental aspect. And I always want to feel like I've I've taken kind of too much time off, you know, mentally. I, you know, and I'm kind of at that point. It's like, you know, I'm really itching to get back into just a, a, a routine. Um, and if if you hate your routine you need to take time off. Yeah, I guess um, that, right. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, you should saying. really want to be in, in, in some, some type of routine. I think that that's really, really important. Um, so, so you, you know, moving into the fall, I think that that's what we want to talk about. We want to say, well, you know, hey, we'll, 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 we'll come back around. We'll talk about goal setting and we'll talk about, uh, you know, what people can do. And, and, and one thing that I definitely want to focus on moving us into the fall is what we can do with programs like Zwift, uh, which are great for the winter time, but at the same time, uh, there, 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 there comes a point where there's too much going on on Zwift. You know, there's group rides and there's training races and, and, you know, pretty soon again, you're back in that racing mode all the time. Right. Like you're saying, like, just like you what you mentioned about, you know, skipping group rides in the spring is the same can be very similar now with Zwift. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, cool. Uh, as right. always, it was great to talk with you. And uh, we will be uh, back with another podcast. We've got a whole stream of podcasts coming up in September. And we do have some great guests lined up. I, I think probably over the next month, we're, we're going to start to lay those out as we can actually nail down some definites. Uh, I, I, I know Henock's not as familiar as I am, but I have... Um, I, I've made uh, so, so, some agreements with guests to come on, and then they disappear, and I always feel bad. Um, but uh, well, but I think we've got some great guests that, that that we're working on for the fall, the both of us. Yeah, I mean, talk about fall and cyclocross. You know, as you know, hopefully we're going to have some uh, a really popular cyclocross rider on sometime in the near future, so we can talk about cyclocross riding and racing and stuff like that. We'll we'll uh, you know say who it is when it's actually confirmed. But yeah, yeah, well, very good. Fantastic. All right. Well, that wraps up another One More Mile podcast. If you like the podcast, please support us by writing a review on iTunes. As those reviews, they improve our ranking and help us gain funding for the show. You can also donate to the podcast by heading on over to www.go1mm.com. That's go1mm.com. Every donation and Every email is going to be entered into another Rudy Project giveaway drawing, so you want to get those in. Again, no purchase is necessary, um, but we would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Uh, speaking of email, if you have a question, comment, uh, if it's about training, racing, whatever it is, you can head to go one more mile at gmail.com. That's go one more mile at gmail.com. 
Uh, again, if anybody's wondering why there, there, there is a slight difference, I really wanted to have a very nice, neat, tidy uh, web address, and I got that. Unfortunately, Gmail does not allow you to have really short email addresses, so uh, that's why we got the, the, the slight variation. Um, but I hope everybody can take the time to uh, email us and let us know what you think. But until next time, folks, remember, always go one more mile. folks that was reunion by treadmill track star if you like the music on this podcast head on over to www.treadmilltrackstar.com where you can find all the great music that the band has produced over the years and even buy it thanks